0: Welcome to Crazy Crimes with Kara. I'm your host, Kara, and we'll be diving into a world of people who have their own brand of crazy. Serial killers, regular murderers, disappearances, unsolved mysteries, and maybe even some odd sightings of make-believe creatures. Or are they? Buckle up, Buttercup. It's about to be one hell of a ride. The very first person that I want to talk about is in the lovely, wonderful state of Alabama. So, uh, Alabamians, welcome. I like to call it Alabamia because I've been hit by somebody from Alabama. <laughs> now I can't say Alabama correctly. Uh, But the first person that I want to talk about is going to be Audrey Hilly. Now, people have probably heard of her. She's pretty famous in Alabama. She has a couple of Lifetime movies and I think a feature on Forensic Files or ID or something. Maybe there was a Matlock episode once in a blue moon ago that had the same thing. I don't know. But... She is batshit crazy. Okay. Her name is Audrey Hilly, and she is from Blue Mountain, now named Anniston, Alabama. And she married Frank Hilly in 1951. They had two kids, Mike and Carol. And, you know, they were were like a pretty standard 50s family, uh, except for... Audrey actually had a job. She was a secretary, which is not uncommon. A secretary, a nurse, females do these jobs in the 50s easily. Waitresses, teachers, you know, the standard. It's okay if you do a job if it's one of these jobs because we're sexist pigs. But not to point. Sidebar. Um, So they they both work. They have a really stable home. You know, everything is great. Except... Audrey has a horrible spending habit. Like she's spending more money than what her and Frank are making in a month. And she's having to go to her bosses and say, Hey, I'll have sex with you if you give me money. So essentially she's pimping herself out because she's not being able to pay her and Frank's bills the way that they're supposed to. And Frank doesn't have any idea. Like this man is so blinded by Audrey that he he's just I don't I don't see anything wrong with her like she depleted their savings she did all kinds of crazy stuff and Frank has no idea how a man has no idea what's going on with his money is beyond me because I've never met a man that doesn't know exactly how much money he has but not the point um Frank and Mike in the early 70s start coming down with Some nausea and things that just won't go away. They go to the doctor. Okay, doctor says, well, it looks like y'all have a stomach flu. They agree. They're like, okay, we have a stomach flu. It's fine. Blah, blah, blah. Red flag number one is when Mike goes off to seminary school to become a minister. He leaves Anniston and he goes to school. So... Within like a month or so, his symptoms start declining. So he's not having any more issues with the nausea or anything. He's just feeling better. So that everybody's like, okay, you're getting better. Great. It was a stomach flu. But Frank, on the other hand, does not get better. He gets worse. So in 75, he comes home early from work. He finds Audrey in bed with her boss in which he did not know was in exchange for money. And he is a gentleman, is the best way that I can put it. He still wants to be with her. He doesn't try and leave her. But he does want advice because he doesn't feel like he can really do anything about Audrey sleeping with someone else. So he talks to his son, Mike. He's like, hey, can you come up? We need some advice because, you know, adding in your son, who is now officially an ordained minister in Atlanta, Georgia, for marital advice is totally normal. I don't know what kind of world these people lived in, but I mean, you could ask your your normal minister at the church you go to if that's what you do and gotten advice without involving your child who doesn't need to know about your marital problems. Anyway, so... Mike leaves after their visit. They work things out, blah, blah, blah. And Frank's still not feeling good. So he goes to the doctor and they're like, oh, you just have some kind of a viral stomach ache. There's not really anything we can do. So he goes home and it just keeps getting worse. So he gets admitted into the hospital where the doctors are like, man, your liver's failing. This has got to be something more than a stomach ache. Um so they ended up saying that he had infectious hepatitis. I don't know what the difference in infectious hepatitis and regular hepatitis is, or if that's hepatitis A, B, C, X, Y, Z, I'm not sure. But he ended up dying on May 25th, 1975. They did an autopsy. Audrey was like, Yeah, sure, go ahead. I have nothing to hide. Uh, And that revealed that he had swelling in his kidneys and lungs. He had bilateral pneumonia and inflammation of the stomach. And because all of these things so closely represented symptoms of hepatitis, they listed hepatitis as his cause of death. Now, Frank had a life insurance policy that Audrey had taken out. And he didn't really know that it had been taken out because it started when his sickness started. And she got that redeemed at a total of $31,140. In this point in time, that's a lot more money than it is today. It's closer to like the $100,000 range. But apparently that money didn't last her very long because within three years... She was taking out a $25,000 life insurance policy on her daughter, Carol. Like, this bitch has no shame. Like, you didn't have a life insurance policy on your child? Like, I have life insurance policies on my children since they've been born. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know what's going to happen to them. You know, just take one out. And I'm not sure how old Carol is at this point in time. It's not really said but yeah, she took out twenty five thousand dollars, and that was effective in nineteen seventy eight. And within a few months, Carol started having some some serious stomach issues and pain, and all of this. And she kept getting admitted to the emergency room. And doctors are like, "There's nothing wrong with you. All these tests we've ran, there's nothing wrong with you. You crazy bitch." So instead. They sent her to Birmingham's Caraway Methodist Hospital because they were like, this has got to be all in her head. It's so psychosomatic. She has nothing wrong with her. So she got some psychiatric testing. And while she's there, she gets these two secret injections from her mother that she's saying, you know, hey, Carol, this stuff, it's going to help you feel better. You're not going to be nauseous anymore. It's fine. You'll feel better, but you can't tell anybody about these shots. So uh, another red flag, I would definitely say, but not knowing how old Carol is, don't know how her brain operates or anything else. So I just, I don't know. She just should have known better than mommy's giving me shots at the doctor and the doctor should be giving me shots, not mommy common sense but 1978 so about a month after carol was admitted her doctor said that she was suffering from malnutrition and vitamin deficiencies now this is the first motherfucker that's like hey you know you know what happens when you're malnourished and you have vitamin deficiencies you're probably being heavy metal poisoned by something or someone And Audrey's in the room, of course. So she's like, oh, hell no. My daughter's not being poisoned by anybody. Blah, blah, blah. So she flips. Like she absolutely fucking loses her shit. And has a Carol discharge. Knowing that Carol can't can't feel her hands. She can't feel her feet. She's nauseous. She's running a fever. She's just very, very sickly and can't do anything. And her mom still has her discharged. Another red flag. Again, nothing happens. So the next day, Audrey has Carol admitted to the University of Alabama hospital. And the funny part about that is, is that same day, Audrey gets arrested for passing bad checks to the insurance company that holds the policy for Carol. So she no longer has an insurance policy on Carol. At this point, Carol should start getting better because mom's in jail and, you know, somebody's like, hey, hey, we got we got some poisoning going on. But uh, that policy lapsed and then these new doctors that are working on Carol concentrate on the possibility of heavy metal poisoning because they're like, well, her hands and feet are numb. She's got nerve palsy causing foot drop and she has lost most of her deep tendon reflexes. They also were like, oh, she's got those Aldrich Mies lines and her fingernails. So they sent some hair out to the forensic lab in Alabama and they're like, let's get this tested and make sure ain't nothing funky going on. So on October 3rd of 1979, they got the results back and that said that she had over a hundred times the normal level of arsenic at the root of her hair. And then at the bottom of the hair shaft, it was zero. So that said, hey, she's getting an increasingly larger dose of arsenic over a period of like four to eight months. And this was like red flag, red flag, red flag. So they dug up Frank. Oh, Frank gets to to come out of the coffin for a little while and and show. What he had to display, and his said that he had ten to a hundred times the normal level of arsenic based on the areas that they were testing. I'm not sure they don't go into that much detail, but it finally was concluded that Frank and Carol both had suffered from chronic arsenic poisoning, and of course, Frank's was fatal. So Audrey is still in jail on her bag check charges at this moment, and she gets, And the additional charges for attempted murder of Carol. So they're like, okay, this bitch had to have done this. She's the only one. Let's go through the stuff that she brought in when we booked her. And inside of her purse, they test this little vial. And it tests positive for presence of arsenic. Like, why would you not check her purse when she gets booked in? 1979. You astound me. Common sense is so lacking. Uh, Within like two weeks, Frank's sister is at their house and she finds a jar of rat poison, which contained 1.4-1.5% of arsenic. And I don't know how common arsenic was in household goods, but apparently I'm going to assume that it was very common at this point in 1979. And I don't think that that is a very smart thing. But Here we are. And then November 9th, Audrey got released on bail. So she was arrested on the 9th. So she's probably been in jail maybe six weeks and didn't get bailed out on bad check charges at this point. But she gets bailed out on an attempted murder charge. Um, I'm not real sure how that follows. The logic of this is just mind-blowing to me. But she gets released. And she goes down and registers at a local motel under a fake name. And then she just kind of disappears. Though there was a note left behind in the motel room that, and this says, in quotes, she might have been kidnapped. And then Audrey got listed as a fugitive. Now, 10 days later, her aunt's house was burglarized. So they stole a car, they stole some clothes and an overnight bag, and then they left a note that said, do not call the police. We will burn you out if you do. We got, or we found what we want and will not bother you again. Obviously, auntie called the police because she's like, holy shit, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Why would somebody steal my car, my clothes, and some toiletries in a bag and say, we found what we want? Just... Tell your fucking aunt what you did and see if she calls the police instead of breaking into her house like the dumbass you are. So January 11th, 1980, Audrey's finally indicted in absentee of Frank's murder. And then as they're investigating this whole arsenic poisoning thing, they find out that Audrey's mother and Frank's mother had significant but not fatal traces of arsenic in their system when they died. This leads them to exhume the remains of Sonia Gibson, who was an 11-year-old friend of the daughter Carol, and she had died of indeterminate causes in 74. But her levels were normal amounts of arsenic. I really want to know what a normal amount of arsenic is because do I have it? Or is arsenic not a thing in things anymore? God, I hope not. I don't want to have to worry about something totally random. Uh, But Gibson was one of a bunch of kids who had gotten sick after they had been drinking something from the Hilly household. So this led investigators to believe that Audrey was putting rat poison in and the arsenic of whatever other chemicals she possibly had into drinks of everyone except for herself. Um, or maybe into the cups themselves and then only drinking out of, of a specific cup. It's not really known. Uh, she even managed to poison two police officers who had been called to her house uh, for a disturbance. They said that they had come down with nausea and cramps after drinking coffee that Audrey had offered them. So Audrey's on the run. And the first place she went is Florida. And she met a man named John Holman III. And she was using the name Robbie Hannon. They lived together for over a year. And then they got married May 29, 1981. She took his last name, of course. And the couple moved to New Hampshire. So from Florida, she went to New Hampshire. And then she kept talking about her imaginary twin sister, Terry, who supposedly lived in Texas. And this woman, like, legitimately had this whole entire backstory And then in 82, the summer of 82, she left New Hampshire and told her husband that she needed to go attend to some family business and see some doctors about some illness she supposedly had. And then she traveled from New Hampshire to Texas and from Texas to Florida as Terry Martin. So she is now pretending to be her twin sister that she doesn't actually have. So she's using this. She called John Holman and she informed him that Robbie Holman had died in Texas and there's no need for him to come to Texas because the body had been donated to medical science. And that was not a red flag, apparently, to anybody else. But on November 12th, she changed her hair color and lost a bunch of weight and went back to New Hampshire to meet John Holman posing as Terry Martin, his deceased wife's sister. And she put out an obituary in the New Hampshire newspaper that finally got somebody thinking this isn't fucking right. Something isn't right. Because the police weren't able to verify any of the information in it about this woman living or dying in Texas, period. So they went and got Terry Martin and brought her in for questioning because of this weird hunch they had. And she actually confessed to being Audrey Hilly and got returned to Alabama to face trial, where she was convicted and sentenced to life in prison, prison for her husband's murder, plus she got 20 years for trying to kill her daughter. So after all this, Audrey goes to jail in 1983 and was considered a quiet model prisoner, and the good behavior actually earned her several one-day passes from the prison, so she actually got to leave and spend time with her husband you know, in a 24-hour period, and she always returned on time. But in February 87, she escaped after she was given a three-day pass to visit her husband, John Holman, who still wanted to be with her. And he had moved to Aniston in order to be near Hilly, and they spent um, one day at an Aniston motel, and then when John left for a couple hours, she disappeared, just leaving behind a note asking for his forgiveness And, but her escape actually prompted the renewal of the prison's furlough system. So that way people didn't get one day passes anymore because the possibility of escape was so high. So she did do some good trying to escape. But when she went missing this time, she was only gone for four days. She disappeared from the hotel and she'd apparently been crawling around in the woods and her body was soaked because it had been raining for like four days and the temperature Kept dropping into the low 30s because, I mean, it's February in Alabama. Nighttime would get pretty fucking cold. I don't care how far south you are. It still gets pretty fucking cold at night. And she actually stumbled upon the back porch of somebody that she went to elementary school with. But this person didn't even recognize her. Like, she was so destitute and wet and dirty and sunken eyed that this woman was like, i am going to call for help. And she alerted uh, the police thinking that this was some transient woman in need of immediate help, and the police summoned paramedics. So she was taken to the hospital and underwent emergency treatment for hypothermia. But while she was on her way to the hospital, she had a heart attack and she kicked the fucking bucket. So this woman, in turn... Has way too much time on her hands, apparently, and spends way too much fucking money to where she has to sleep with her bosses, and then she kills her husband after she starts poisoning him and their son, and she tries to kill her daughter, and then she marries a new man while she's out on the run. What does this woman have? Like, what was so special about her that these men in the late 70s and early 80s still wanted to be with her? After all of this fucking shit she put them through, I mean, she lied to John Holman. She tried to, you know, manipulate him and and deceive him in a plethora of ways. And that man still was like, I'm going to move from New Hampshire to Anniston, Alabama in order to be close to my wife, even though she fucked up my world. What kind of man that must be. And I feel terrible for him. Can you imagine So, the next one is kind of um, an unsolved case from more than 30 years ago, but it's also in Alabama. It's in Greenville, Alabama. It is the missing person's case of Sherry Lynn Marlar. She went missing June 6, 1984, Greenville, Alabama. Uh, just a brief rundown was that she slept on the couch because Raymond's sister who is her stepfather, so this would be her step-aunt, um, was sleeping in her bed. So she was sleeping on the couch. Her mom gets up real early, like 7 a.m., gets ready for work and tries not to uh, wake anybody up or anything because she's going to the Waffle House. She's got to be at work. And Sherry, at this point, is about 12. About nine, Sherry figures out that Raymond is getting ready to go into town. So she raced out of the house with her shoes in her hands. And she's like, hey, can I go with you? Can I go with you? So she goes. And by 930, they are stopped at the First National Bank because Raymond needed to sign some paperwork. Sherry was thirsty. So Raymond gave her a dollar and told her to go buy herself a drink out of the vending machine at the Chevron. Now, within 15 minutes, she was supposed to be back at the truck. By 15 minutes, Raymond was done. He went out to the truck. Sherry wasn't there. And he waited about 25 more minutes before he actually got out of the truck and started searching for her. He went to the Chevron. He went to the feed store. He went to the tractor shop. He went everywhere because they owned a farm. And these were the places that she frequented because they called her Little Farmer. And it's just one of those things that everybody's like, okay, well, she's not in these places. Where could she have gone? Now, nobody has seen her. He Raymond calls Betty, which is Sherry's mother. And, you know, nobody's seen her. By 1146, so within two hours, this girl is reported missing. And everyone chips in. Like... Friends, family, neighbors, they volunteer. Uh, an aerial search was even done. They, they, you know, foot-tracked across so many places. But despite all of this and acting so quickly, Sherry was just gone. Now, there are a couple of different theories on what happened to her. And whatever you think is the most likely, you know, could be possible. Now, they have the theory that she ran away. Which her family thinks is highly unlikely. She's an only child. She was really excited to go visit her vam- grandparents that night, so on and so forth. Like she didn't really have a reason to run. She loved being on a farm, and it was well known that she loved being on a farm. So her family's like, no, that's that's not possible. Could she have been abducted by a stranger? Sure, just like anybody else. Go ask somebody for a change to put in the vending machine because obviously they didn't give you change back and they didn't accept dollars. So you're going to have to get changed somehow and you stop in a car and be like, hey, do you have change for a dollar and getting pulled into the car and ran off is, is very possible. And if this person was in a car, then within two hours, they definitely could have gotten very far. And there were three unconfirmed sightings of Sherry by three different people who kind of support that stranger abduction theory. So these alleged sightings put Sherry with a man who looked to be around 50. He was 5'8", had a husky build, and a weathered complexion like he worked outside. And then one of those witnesses said that the young girl called the man BJ. But all three of these witnesses told authorities that they believed the person was Sherry was very upset, disheveled, and dazed. The other thing is she was killed by someone she knew, and the body was just abandoned somewhere that they would not have thought to look, which is a possibility. And the stepdad, Raymond, was definitely the first person that they looked at. He was the first person of interest, but the police never said that he was even a suspect. They questioned him. He was very forthcoming with information, but he absolutely refused to take a polygraph test. And then Betty didn't think that it was him either because when he died in April of 2003, he told Betty that he wished he could bring Sherry home to her, but he couldn't because he didn't know where she was. Now that's not exactly him saying I didn't do anything. That's more like I could have done something, but I actually don't know where she is because I watched someone else take off with her and then she wasn't my problem anymore or so on and so forth. And no shade toward Raymond or Betty, um, just, you know, possibilities of things that people don't really think about. So, um, the other option there is that she went to live with her stepsister, which would have been Raymond's daughter and her husband, because she had been there in 83, the whole summer she had stayed with them. But even then that's running away. And Sherry's family didn't think she'd do that. But Betty created a Facebook. It's called Sherry Lynn Marlar Still Missing. And she was gathering information that way. In 2019, this woman named Ryan Welch Anderson started posting crazy shit on this Facebook, stating that her and a group of volunteers had been searching tirelessly for years to find out what happened to Sherry. And they found evidence they refused to keep to themselves any longer. Part of her post reads, Sherry Marler was murdered and dismembered by someone she knew very well, but not her stepfather. She was thrown into a hog pen in Butler County. We believe the person who murdered her is deceased, and we strongly suspect that there are one or two other people there at the time of her death and that they are also deceased. We strongly suspect that she was pregnant at the time of her death, and we believe that she was a victim of a multiple family-based incest pedophilia ring that involved people from both Butler and Crenshaw counties. Ryan also stated that they unearthed the the pig farm that was functional in 84, but has since been abandoned and reclaimed by nature. The group says they have video footage of two separate cadaver dogs, confirming hits on human remains in that area. And during their excavation, the group discovered clothing that was sent in for DNA testing, which there is a picture of, and it looks like a burlap sack with some red dye on it. Blood does not say that red over time, so I don't know. But the Greenville Police Department said no DNA evidence was even found on that. And they kind of dismissed it. But then Ryan also goes on to say that a surviving family member of the person she thinks murdered Sherry allowed her to look through a box of old photos. And some of the photos showed the pig farm up and running. One of those photos in particular kind of shocked Ryan was a photo of a pig standing by what she said is is a severed human head that had not yet decomposed and she took a picture with her phone and that picture is also shown and it doesn't look like a head to me i mean it's one of those old square photos from the 70s and 80s that you can't really tell what's going on other than you can see the fucking pig like that's that's what you can tell there's a pig in a pigsty you can't tell what's around it. It's an old photo. You, It's not clear. It's been crumpled. And they said that the original photo was reportedly seized from the family member by law enforcement and turned over to the FBI. But when nothing happened, when Ryan said she called the FBI and says that they never received any such photo. So there's some shade going on in multiple places. Um, and this Ryan woman kind of seems like she is looking for a way to say, Hey, I solved the case. You can close it. We did a good job, which would also mean that I would go straight to looking at her and how old she is and what she's doing because she is far too active in this. Um, just like other people say about, you know, serial killers and whatnot is that they want to be really active in the investigation and for her to pop out of nowhere and just be like, here's a bunch of evidence. I can't hold on to it any longer. I didn't want to tell you, but here it is. It's kind of shady to me. Don't you think? I think so. Thank you guys so much for sticking around and listening to these wild tales with me. You can follow us on Instagram at crazy, Crazy Crimes with Kara, and that's Kara with a K. You can also email us at crazycrimeswithkara at gmail.com to share some of your crazy stories, whether that's a story um, about a brush with death or crazy sibling fight or something sweet and kind of silly. We'll read it all, and we'd be happy to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed the ride and kept your seatbelt on tight. Stay safe out there, and don't forget to find your brand of crazy.